Hello, what is up, Bread fans? Welcome to this episode. We have another cool conversation for you and another group conversation for you. Um, I invited several folks over for dinner and a podcast. I enticed them with my famous bean burritos. So I want to thank everyone that uh, came by. We had friends from Marburg here, um, two psychologists, um, researchers, Izgi is one, uh, Toby is the other, they'll introduce themselves in the episode, and had my good friend Aaron join, who, while not a researcher, is a really smart dude, um, studied linguistics, German, computer programming, anyway, he felt a little out of his, out of his element, but I think you'll find that, uh, he was a pretty solid contributor to this, uh, to this episode, so we covered behavior, um, sort of started off like why you study animal behavior, a little bit about cognitive behavioral therapy. We tried to kind of tease out what that is, how it works, uh, moving on into mental health in general. Um, is our society contributing to poor mental health? Uh, of course, that touched on social media, my favorite uh and yeah it was just a fun fun chat you know um close to the holidays here so we had a few drinks had a nice chat um we were joined partway through by a couple other friends who were in the lab working hard all day but showed up right at the end to help us out and that would be Uzga, who you'll hear she was on the show before uh the in conversation episode we had about the gene editing um, and she also works in the labs here in Marburg studying animal behavior. Uh, yeah, so like I said, good times had by all. I really enjoyed it. I want to thank everyone for, for taking part. And we'll get into the conversation after this little bit of the freak motif. Thank you all for being here. We got a big group, fairly big group today. And um, yeah. yeah, well, there you go. There's Toby. Yeah. Tobias. Tobias, but I prefer Toby. So okay. No. We'll go with Toby. So Toby works in the lab with my lovely wife Teresa, who has been on the show. So we'll get to the that later in just a sec. But we're also we got a couple audience members, participating <laughs> audience members. Yes. So Izgi. Hi, I'm Eski. Yeah. here. You've done your PhD in psychology? Cognitive neuroscience. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ooh, mm -hmm. oh, fancy. Yeah. And then we got uh, Aaron from the mean streets of London with the PhD in life. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's the crew today. That's the crew. Uh, and we got the Christmas tree in the background shining brightly. So looks amazing. Festive mood. Cheers, everyone. For being Cheers. here. Cheers. Cheers. Raise a glass. But the, well, Toby, the original idea, I wanted to have you on the podcast for a while because you work in the same lab, like I said, as my wife, Teresa, that's how we met, uh, yeah. studying behavior. This is yeah. what Teresa studies and we've talked about it. Teresa's been on the, the podcast before, so we've talked a little bit about behavior and they study, you study animal behavior, Yeah. but you are also um, training to be a clinician. Yeah, a clinical psychologist. Clinical so I'm trying to close the gap between animal and human behavior. Right. And so this 
is kind of the interesting thing for me because, you know, when you think about behavior, like no one really thinks about their behavior. We know what behavior is. Everybody has behaviors, but we don't really know why we behave or why some people behave differently than others. There's obviously psychiatric disorders and that comes with, you know, some, maybe some changes to the brain or something like that, but it manifests as behavior or altered behavior. Yeah, maybe you can, right. I'm kind of rambling on about it, but maybe you can kind of just give us a glimpse of like why studying animals, you know, in behavior and what this, what you're looking to, to bridge, I guess. Yeah. Can we, I mean, there's a huge gap between animal and human behavior, but um, based on the diagnostic systems we are using um, in Germany or in the US or wherever, um, I mean, for mental disorders, we always, it's based on behavior, not most of it, but yeah, we use behavior to, um, behavioral sy uh, symptoms, uh, to make our diagnosis. So the systems we are using, like the DSM-5, the diagnostic statistical mm -hmm. systems we're using, um, are relying on that. So it's interesting to look on behavior and, um, yeah, in, in my research part, we are focusing on uh, behavior in rodents and mice and rats, uh, and uh, especially in genetic, mod genetically modified animals. Um, yeah, that's what I'm interested in. Well, and so this is the thing, that, right? Like you're, so you're saying that like the symptoms of mental disorder, I mean, I'm probably using the wrong language around here, but you know, um, is behavior. So it's not like you can really you know, it's not like a bacteria infection where you take a blood test and say, oh, this person has this disease or this virus or something like this. So you're relying on behavioral symptoms. Yeah. But like you just alluded to, you work with genetically, you know, modified yeah, knock, animals. Knockout animals. Knock yeah. So there is a biological link to yeah. the altered behavior. And, and I think that's, idea. yeah, right. And that to me is kind of the interesting thing because it's like, then you're thinking, you know, we don't think about our behavior, but there is kind of a biological reason for the way, the reason we do things. <laughs> Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Is you're agreeing? Yes, I'm agreeing. And maybe, I mean, um, it's also um, important to add that, you know, like some fields in psychiatry, neurology, or I mean, I'm also not that um, specifically informed, but they are trying to find other markers that would um, tell, for example, if someone has schizophrenia. And so these markers so apart would be... from the behavior. Right. And like that more marker... physiological markers. What's an example? Like, is it like serotonin uh, or something like this? Eye movements, for example. Ooh. But that's, that's kind of... very... Yeah. It's kind of a behavior, isn't it? Yeah. You think so? I mean, saccades, because you're not like in control of like... When you make a saccade, right? What's a saccade? Oh, <laughs> it's a specific eye movement, yeah. I guess. But like you are very the expert. Short. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind and of like an involuntary behavior, like exactly. a tick or something yeah. like this. Yeah. But no, it's it's a normal behavior. Ah, it's, okay. You're doing the same when you're doing. Yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. moving your eyes, when yeah. you're focusing on stuff, you're showing saccades. Mm -hmm. It's a specific eye movement, I yeah. guess. So okay. that's, that's what right. I've learned. I'm yeah. not really into this stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'm also not really into this stuff. I just want to add that um, like different fields um, are trying to look for markers other than behavior so right. that, you know, they would kind of make sure that or 
I mean, they will try to define the disorder as they would define, I don't know, like if you have cancer, mm -hmm. you know what exactly that's about. Right, exactly. And yeah. that's that's kind of the, tr the, the tricky part with mental illness at the moment yeah. is that it's, you know, for someone who, yeah, hasn't studied it, it's, you hear about the spectrums yeah. of symptoms and severities and stuff and the challenges with diagnosing. But this is, I guess, you know, kind of the point that I'm a little stuck on is just that, well, we know, we know that there's some genetic component to a lot of these things, right? Like you, would it be, would you ever find someone that you would diagnose as schizophrenia without having sort of some other biological or genetic um, sign of it? Is that possible? Maybe we don't know. I don't know. They usually have a history in the family. Right. Which alludes to a genetic right. component. Yeah, but right now you're not doing any like genetic tests yeah. to, no. to find it. In, no. in the clinical, um, so in the clinic where I work, you don't do any genetics to, right. to get an, a reason for the disease. Yeah. So it's not based on any like... Is it because test. we're at a point where it's like there's not like one clear gene you can't like just run yeah. a test and say oh you have this gene or you don't have this gene therefore you will have this that that doesn't exist are, and i think that's maybe the thing that people don't understand really rare diseases but mm. they're like like the huntington disease for example mm. right i mean but yeah. these are really severe um disorders but for like schizophrenia or um, depression for example um, you don't have this one specific gene, so mm -hmm. it's not necessary I, right now to find this one gene. And I think the idea right now is it's an in interaction of different factors. Mm -hmm. of, so um, in the models for diseases we have right now, we assume that there are like biological um, factors, um, social, social, sociological yeah. factors. Right? Like environment. And, and environment and um, psychological um, yeah, reasons or and it's like trying it's a combination of it. and to try and tease out how much each of those factors plays a role in getting it yeah yes manifesting the disease we'll say is yeah. really really difficult that's yeah. my understanding yeah. too yeah. yeah so that's kind of the interesting thing I mean it's interesting but it's it makes studying this stuff like oh next to impossible really because how would you ever you know sort all this stuff out and how can you mm -hmm. even then accurately diagnose it so i don't know toby i mean maybe you could talk about the what is a like classic behavioral diagnosis for some of this what are the things that you look for and is there a threshold you know how would you or do you kind of just go with your experience your gut so <laughs> i mean we have the the diagnostic systems we look at the symptoms and then that most of the time you use uh, like a um, you check if the symptoms are there for a specific specific amount of time and then you look for example in depression uh, or for depression you look at social withdrawal for example mm -hmm. if people uh, yeah don't go out anymore stay at home whatever so this is what we use to uh, to yeah do a diagnose to get one yeah but no, does it, this answer your question? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it does. I just, I, I can just imagine how difficult it is. Mm. And I think this is the thing that like a lot of people struggle with. I know like if you, if you've ever had somebody with a mental disorder in your family, mm. 
it really disrupts the family because people don't yes. understand, right? Like they don't understand that like, well, why aren't you just better? Like, why can't we just make you better? Yeah. You know, and when you talk about genetic factors or biological factors, people think that there's a way that, well, why don't we just give them a drug? Like, why don't we just cure them or something like that? And this is maybe where the cognitive, my interest in their, that your spe speciality will say is what cognitive, how do you say it? Cognitive behavioral therapy uh, therapy yeah yeah cbt cbt, CBT yeah. yeah which because then it's like it's then it just seems like oh well you're just training like it's you know this is the naive perspective of it is you're just training you the person to not have those problematic behaviors or something you know along these lines where it's like so are we really curing it like is it a disease mm. what's mm. happening there because if it's just a matter of well, I just have to behave differently mm. and I just have to learn how to behave differently, mm. then, you know, it should be easy, right? But it's not. So maybe you could, I mean, I'm probably butchered your whole <laughs> area of your, of your thesis, but maybe you could like outline the, cog the CBT and, and how it works or... Yeah, so I, I mean, some part of CBT uh, means you, you try to adjust behavior to, um, I mean, so one step uh, in CBT um, treatment for depression, for example, is to um, to um, make people go out again, to do like positive activities, um, and then <clears throat> by doing this uh, to try to change um, the d depression to yeah reduce the symptoms in general. Mm -hmm. So this is how how you try. This is one step in CBT. It's not it's it's more the behavioral part of CBT. Mm -hmm. There's also a cognitive part. But the first steps would be, for example, to, um, to, um, yeah, to have like positive activities, uh, to, yep. Yeah, um, how do you say it? Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, to integrate, um, these activities into. Right. Into so the, the symptom, of, the symptom is withdrawal from yeah. depression. So then you would encourage them to go out in public yeah. or, you know, maintain the relationships with their family and stuff yeah but and then so that's the behavioral part yeah so what's the cognitive part <clears throat> so, so yeah in depression for example you talk about specific cognitions they have so i don't know do you have an example um, of typical cognitions so they tend to generalize i think negative thoughts to mostly everything mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like I don't know like if they fail an exam they would say like yeah, I'm a failure in everything so yeah that's one cognitive style that Thoughts they so it's like by cognitions in this cognitive it's like thought patterns yeah yeah I mean you can yeah okay yes. mm -hmm. all right so then you have to address those so then how do you how do you address that you just talk about it Ah, that's kind of tricky. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, how do you convince that person mm. that they're not a fit, you know, like if someone's trapped in that thought pattern? Yeah. Have you ever tried to convince a person? <laughs> Maybe you could try now. <laughs> you could, could try now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the tricky part of uh, the cognitive uh, therapy. You don't want to convince the person. You have to somehow guide the person to another, like... Mm more helpful cognition mm. so it was maybe you know when we did the example was um yeah you like failed general, an exam uh -huh. whatever general generalization sorry uh difficult word for a german speaker <laughs> um 
<coughs> so there you you could say um, yeah are there other reasons why you failed your exam and then mm. you can Maybe. try to find different reasons what I don't know what could be another reason do you have Maybe they didn't study enough. <laughs> they didn't study. Uh huh. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's not. Yeah. But this is not. This might not be a good reason for a depressed person. <laughs> <laughs> right. But maybe the um, maybe fifty percent of the other students failed. Then the the exam was too hard for you. Mm. So yeah. you you have you try to find different reasons and then you start to discuss them and then you try. To change the the um, first cognition, the perspective or the, the perspective. Start, yeah. yeah. How do you kind of list the different cognitions? You can write them down. That's yeah, easy. But mm. would, is it not kind of endless amounts, or do you pick a specific set amount? I mean, for example, talking about this failing a test. Yeah. It's very mm. specific. One point is there. I don't know how you would approach how many different points there are. A good question. That's a good question. Mm. Hmm. Let me think about it. <laughs> well, so, like, yeah, because you have a patient. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, like, depression may be one of the examples that I know you've used in the past when we've chatted about this is not depression, but let's say someone who has paranoia. Yeah. Or something like this. Then it makes this, this is an example that stuck out to me because then you can be like, the person's like, oh, I'm paranoid. There's someone outside my apartment. They've been standing there for an hour they must be after me and then you could you could list all the reasons like well what are the reasons that a person might stand out there and there's all these other reasons it's not yeah. that they're after you yeah but then there must be like they keep how often yeah i'm curious now with what aaron said like what are the is there like in depression is there like three cognitions that are that you could even use as like um diagnostics like or it just it manifests differently for everybody yeah. so like depression or paranoia or something like paranoia would it be like uh you know the cognitions are everyone's out to get me yeah. um strangers are somehow following you know like there is there similarities between patients huh. that you could make do you have an idea Eski? <laughs> um I mean, you know, I'm not a clinical psychologist. All I know is, I don't know, I just saw some patients during, um, like, when while they were being interviewed, but I wasn't the one who was interviewing them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but, I, I mean, my un so my understanding is that, like, a um, case like depression, for example, um, I think you can more or less provide a... Like, a, like an overall picture of what the situation might be or how it might lead to a failure of the exam mm -hmm. um, with cognitive therapy. But when we talk about paranoia, I think that's a bit different. So, so I don't I, think yeah, and it's kind of... every condition is yeah. um, like curable, quote-unquote curable, by uh, cognitive behavior therapy right as well. to, just to let you know in the last decades cbt was so psychiatrists didn't want cbt um, th uh, therapists to treat um, like paranoia or something so mm. they, they've just started uh, using cbt for paranoia in the last i don't know couple of years 
Mm. So yeah. the therapist always stepped back. Always what, yeah. what the psychiatry always said, you know, the paranoia or schizophrenia is nothing you should treat with CBT. So it's kind of new right now. Right. Mm. And there, sorry, is there a reason behind that? Was it because like schizophrenia, there's like antipsychotic drugs? Yes, I But like, are these yeah, the they, disorders that you can actually treat? I think more reliably treat with drugs. One reason was that you that they assumed you should not like try to change the delusion. Is it delusion? Mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The delusions. But this is changing right now. But mm -hmm. I'm not really into this, so mm -hmm. this is just what I've learned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. It's interesting. And so maybe I've muddled the the whole conversation by bringing in two different examples, but it's still it's interesting that there's you know there is like these this cognition and then behavior so like the cognition the thought patterns sort of then lead to the behavior like the mm -hmm. because of the cognition then that influences their behavior this is my thinking on it and so you kind of have to address but you have to address both in yeah. order to sort of break out of this cycle yeah right interesting <laughs> interesting <laughs> But it is like when it came to the, you know, how do you convince somebody? I guess that's not really what you're, that's what you, you kind of said too. It's like, we're yeah. not really trying to convince them. So you're, how do you, it's like dancing around the point, like trying to guide them to a new thought. Like, let's yeah, say yeah. like, why, what are the other reasons why you might've, this outcome might've happened rather than this one that you're stuck on. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's kind of interesting because you could apply that to so many things. There's the, I think we've talked about this before, where it's you, when you're trying to, like for climate change or something, you know, some of these contentious issues like this or anti-vaxxers yeah. or something yeah. like this, you're like, it doesn't matter how much data you put in front of someone. You can tell them like, no, the all the trials have come up safe and everything's fine, like, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. But if you start to like ask them questions... You know, like, well, have you, how many people do you know that are vaccinated? And they'll mm -hmm. be like, oh, well, like my whole family, like I was vaccinated as a kid too, but I don't want to vaccinate my kids. And like, yeah, but so how many people do you know that are sick from vac? You know, have you, do you know anyone? And then, the, so it actually seems like a pretty, like, I'm fascinated by it because <laughs> yeah. it seems like a pretty useful approach to yeah. sort of dealing with like entrenched um, thoughts or behaviors, I guess. Yeah, but but imagine, for, for example, the the daily life of a person with a depression or whatever. What they are used to um, are like parents or partners, whatever, that are like trying to force them to do stuff, mm -hmm. to convince them doing stuff. So they're re really used to that there are people pushing them. Yeah. And I don't like to get pushed somewhere. You, I guess you don't like it, so... Yeah, this is why we have these techniques or different techniques or different approaches in CBT to talk about cognitions. Mm -hmm. So, no, yeah. Yeah. That's and maybe idea. one other thing, which is, I don't know how related is that, but I find very important. Like when, um, when someone with depression comes to your office, for example, I think it's very important that he or she is motivated to get in or to receive therapy do you think is <laughs> not it all of them <laughs> so 
I mean, I, I did, I did imagine someone just going into your office and saying that, oh, I was just forced to be here. I mean, this happens too. Yeah. I mean, with adults. Okay. Sometimes they get, they get, yeah, forced by their partners to go to therapy, mm -hmm. and then you have to address it because otherwise mm -hmm. you don't have to do the therapy, mm -hmm. or you don't have to start the treatment because. They will be re reluctant. Okay, but do they keep coming to the therapy, or like what would be the success rate? So if sometimes not I don't, I don't have any numbers, but in the beginning mm. you, you try to address it. If you have, if you at the as a therapist, you get the feeling that they are like forced. You mm -hmm. try to address it, and then you start try to to show them that you understand their position, that it's like uncomfortable to get sent by your wife or husband to a therapy and then you try to like find a way with it to together with the patients mm -hmm. to talk about his problems mm -hmm. because it, i mean most of them have problems <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. um, but that's kind of the thing that, that again like the the narrative you hear a lot when you're outside of it or you have a family member or something or you know they say this with addiction and stuff like this it's mm -hmm. like they won't get help until they want to get help or it won't mm -hmm. succeed until they, you know, they're ready to like give it an effort. Mm -hmm. So is that like, is that because they, they have to buy into it? <laughs> what do you mean by to buy into it? Well, like, you know, they have to, well, cause you're not like tricking them. Right. Like that's not the goal is just to like trick them into like, Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm, everything I was thinking, you know, so they kind of have to be open to changing their perspective. Yeah. Right. Or their behavior. Or their behavior. <laughs> or both. Right. right. Yeah. So if someone's not open to that, then they're not going to do it. Yeah. And you don't have to do a treatment. Yeah. And so then, but I think this is what people struggle with too. Again, like family members and stuff, because then it's like, well, this person doesn't want to get better. Like oh, okay. they could get better, but they're choosing not to. Mm. Is that safe? Like, is that, can you say that or is that? I mean, in some cases, I guess it's like this, but sometimes as a therapist, it's easy to say, yeah, they don't want to change. So I can't do a, a therapy, but mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that, that's a challenge to address this in the therapy and then try to, to get a good, like a relationship between patient and therapist. And then you start to talk. Uh, about this problem first and then you I don't know it's it's tricky yeah. I mean, we therapists are facing this problem each day I guess so mm -hmm. what would you do in such a case when people are reluctant for therapy and you can't really get through to them do you switch therapists or you just write it off and you mm -hmm. say look this person doesn't want any help or is there some kind of do you put them on certain medicines I mean in, I mean most of the patients I've seen uh, are in like in an out clinic, I guess. Is it outpatient. Right? Outpatients, okay, they yeah. were outpatients, they, so most of them were like motivated. Mm -hmm. I've never worked in, in a psychiatry, so that might be different. Hmm. Uh, so in, in, the, in the field where I've worked, people were somehow motivated, so it, it was much easier. But in the clinic, yeah, they might get yeah. medication. Sometimes yeah. they are forced to get medication, but this is kind of tricky too. But so in a lot of those cases, and maybe it's important like to make a distinction between therapy or like psychology, cognitive 
behavioral therapy and psychiatry? Because my understanding is that psychiatry is more the use of drugs. They use drugs more. Is that... They have access to drugs. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're medical doctors. Yeah. So okay, they, so they can prescribe drugs. Prescribe it, mm. yeah. In Germany, um, so like psychological therapists, like or th uh, therapists that study psychology are not allowed to prescribe medication. So mm -hmm. this might be different to North America. No, that's mm -hmm. my understanding of North America mm -hmm. as well. And yeah, and for some um, like diseases... You, at first you need medication and then you can start the, the therapy. Right. And so then, you know, this is, yeah, kind of weird that it's like, okay, you're dealing with a, like schizophrenia, for example, where there's clear delusions, whether it's auditory or visual or whatever it is. So you first need a medicine to deal with that, to try and stop those. So we must know kind of what the biological reason for hallucinations or delusions are, right? Is that safe to... Um, I mean, we have antipsychotics, what do they do? Yeah, I mean, I think they work most... There are different types of antipsychotics, but they work on the dopamine system. Mm -hmm. I think the traditional ones, but I mean, I wouldn't say that much because I'm not a medical... Doctor. It's okay. We're just podcasting. No one's gonna, <laughs> no one's gonna hold so, you to like. Well, you said this, and no, 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 no. don't worry. It's it's fine. So about the medication. So my understanding mm -hmm. right now is, I mean, there is like there is a lot of different medication for mental diseases right now. Mm -hmm. But in many cases, we don't really know how they work. There are ideas. That oh, exactly. They Maybe yeah. Mm -hmm. Change yeah. the dopamine system or the serotonin system. But the, the, the main mechanisms, from my understanding, mm -hmm. are really unclear. And maybe sometimes the research on mental disorders is somehow biased because, I mean, psychiatry, uh, it's part of the medical field. There's a lot of money, a lot of funding. Yeah. So they, they, a lot of power to, like, yeah decide what to do what to do your research on mm -hmm. sometimes they they try to find the biological reasons and i'm totally sure there are biological reasons but they are biased on this bio mm. biological yeah. reasons maybe yeah. this is another yeah mm -hmm. and topic I mean, we should talk about yeah. <laughs> or mm -hmm. it's another interesting topic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like for example when you think about a condition such as schizophrenia most of the drugs um work on these positive symptoms that we talked about mm -hmm. delusions hallucinations and so on but there are also negative symptoms and most of the drugs they actually don't work on these symptoms like feeling um very um demotivated um mm -hmm. feeling or looking like they have no effect and so on like that stuff like that blank yeah emotionless um, yeah you can't do much with anti-psychotics anti mm. so it's it just works on some of the symptoms that um this syndrome presents yeah. yeah exactly that's always like kind of terrifying yeah. um that like we don't really know how they work and yeah. i mean i've heard this a lot like listening to people talk about depression or something like this 
And this is why people on with depression will cycle through medication because they're basically just like, well, let's try this at this dosage. And it's yeah. like, yeah. did it work? No. Okay, well, let's try this one with this dosage. And you're constantly... And I think that's something like maybe this is why people don't trust or there's this narrative that gets built about not trusting, mm. you know, pharmacy or whatever, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Because it's like, well, we don't know. But, but I don't know. We just got to figure it out, I guess. I mean, it's sometimes the case with other uh, medical issues. I know with epilepsy, they have to cycle through different medications. There's loads of them. It's a mm. trial and error. Mm -hmm. So perhaps... I'm not sure. Yeah. I just, I understand. I guess I kind of just understand why some people are skeptical, you know? I mean, I'm not. Mm. Vaccinate I mean, your kids. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but Mental illness has been kind of demonized for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. It just seems mm -hmm. in the past few decades, we've really started to open up to treating and sorting out these problems that people have. Mm -hmm. So the research is probably like lagging behind. But is that also because it's like... Well, the stigma, for sure. I agree with you. There's definitely been... I mean, there still is. There yeah. definitely still is. Yeah. Uh, it's better. But it's also... Would it all? Would you say it's also just how tricky it is like, to, to study? Like you said, it's not like a cancer where you can be like, there's a tumor. Mm -hmm. mm. Fucking deal with it, you know? You guys are on the... You deal with it. You see it day to day. I mean... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, the research um, on mental disorders, it, it's, it's really complex and really tricky. I mean, cancer, I think it's also really complex and whatever. So, but on mental disorders, I mean, we know some of the genetic factors, but it's, it's really, really tricky right now. But I, if you go back to the genetic factors, for example, it's... Um, the data comes from, from these huge genome-wide association studies where they take thousands or thousands or ten thousands yeah. of patients and control um, persons and then they correlate different sing single uh, or small mutations or whatever to mm -hmm. a disease and then they find a correlation but this is just explaining it. Yeah, that just shows you that like, well, in people that don't have the symptoms of depression, their genetic profile looks like this, and people who do have it, their genetic profile looks like this. Yeah. So it just tells you that there's a difference, but it doesn't tell you what that difference, how it manifests, how it contributes to the to Yeah, the and sometimes conditions. the difference is really small, or even the, the people, for example, with these the small mutations, thousand of them don't have a uh, depression so it's it's mm -hmm. not a good predictor to to take one gen, uh, one mutation and then to say this person might get a depression right. it's not working that way it's it's really tricky <laughs> yeah well and i'd like to get back to what you're saying about the bias of trying to look for a, a biological mechanism or solution or something i think this is an issue too that we're kind of starting to deal with but you still see it a lot where people are like or companies or something like this are like well let's just like the wonder drug like yeah, can we just find the, the wonder drug that will just cure this i think sometimes they call it the magic bullet right, right. exactly <laughs> yeah Poof. and this is what the patients are asking for right because they want to feel relief yeah yeah i hear this question almost every day 
Really? And then I, I have to be like, yeah, if there is this bullet, I would give it to you, but mm -hmm. there's none. It's it's not that easy. Mm -hmm. So it's we don't have this magic bullet. Yeah. Well, and I think it's like, I mean, I don't know. It trips me out about this whole thing is that, that there is these multiple factors that go into it, like an environmental factor, let's say, or that someone who, you know, maybe they have the genetic profile, maybe they don't, but you can still be succumb to depression, you know, like it can, it can develop, yeah. you know, based on your environment and your mood. And I, I just don't think that we think about that, you know, like as much. And that's, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of scary. I mean, we were having a conversation before the podcast about uh, social media, mm. you know, and <laughs> how much, like how, we don't really know, but how much of that is contributing to people's depression and stuff like this. And so it's like, there's all these things that we normally do in our world, like, you know, we've created this world, the society that we live in, and it might actually be contributing to a deterioration of some people's mental yeah. health, right? Like if we knew, like when we know that microwaves cause cancer, we just, we all stop staring at the microwave, you know? <laughs> I don't know if you guys got told that as a kid to like not I, look at I know, yeah. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> but yeah. I was you, really scared. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like we, so like, I don't know, what, what's your thoughts on that? Like is, because they also talk about it. I don't know if they talk about this in Germany, but in North America, for sure, they talk about a mental health crisis. Like that there's a mental health crisis going on and I don't know if some of that is well now we're just paying attention to it so it's always been there but now we just notice it or it actually is increasing I mean I think suicide among you know men aged you know 40 to 50 in the U.S. is one of the chief reasons that their um, life expectancy has dropped overall so I mean do, do you talk about that in Germany is that a, is, is that a thing or would you have like some kind crisis of or yeah like an epidemic from from what I know or in media right now it's it's not for, from my perception mm -hmm. it's not it's not a big deal right now Germany more, also has a way better system yeah, of taking care of their yeah. people than yeah, yeah. in Germany it's more about how to improve the treatment there's mm -hmm. a lot of mm -hmm. stuff going on because people don't get treatment and you have to wait a month like or almost a year to get like a therapy session or something so you have to wait really, really long to get a therapist. Mm -hmm. So this is the discussion right now is focus, focusing on that in Germany. Mm -hmm. I don't know is what the situation is like in in England. I mean, the kind of public opinion yeah. is building around mental health and how important it is. Um, so people are well aware. We're not in a crisis in the media. It doesn't stay that. Mm -hmm. But people are pushing for more investment into mm -hmm. the system because like Germany, it takes a long time to get an appointment and yeah, with more money you can do more things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think part of the mental health crisis that they talk about too in, uh, in North America anyway, because they talk about it in Canada as well, uh, manifests as addiction, like the opioid oh. stuff too. And so then there's <laughs> yeah. like, there's that um, contributing to it. And I don't know how big of an issue that is here, but I'm just, I am curious about this idea that the, you know, that, that the way that we've, designed life and like the priorities that people have in life mm -hmm. aren't fulfilling to a you know a, a healthy psychology a healthy well-being there um i think i've probably talked about this before on the on this podcast i think i've talked about it with you but the the book tribes 
Yeah. Or you're Where, like, yeah, it's like, this is game. If you don't know, let me tell uh, you the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read it. <laughs> anyway, it's a, he was a, a Sebastian Junger. He's a war journalist. But he kind of had this, um, um, he noticed that, you know, when he was talking with people or in these war scenarios or talking with soldiers or people who had gone through these, these things, is mm -hmm. that they often reported, like, um, like better mental health, like they were like they're feeling like if they were depressed, they were no longer depressed, you know, and soldiers during war time, during wartime, okay. and soldiers, uh, he Which looked makes at, sense. yeah, and he looked at the phenomenon of soldiers that like, they want to go back to war, even though they say it's like, oh, it's huh. terrible and stuff, but okay. they want to go back because camaraderie, purpose, um, you know, they, the, the love they feel for the guys next to them, that sort of bond. And so he developed this whole sort of idea mm -hmm. and looked at, you know, during the Blitz in London when the bombing was the heavy bombing campaign mm -hmm. in World War II, it's like the rates of depression, people being, you know, going to get treatment for depression, like it just vanished almost. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as the war was over, it came back. And he, the other example he used is uh, people who in North America, when they were colonizing the West, it was common for uh, Native American tribes to kidnap people. Like as they were mm -hmm. fighting the settlers and stuff, some of the people would get kidnapped and they would get brought into the tribe. And they loved it. Very rarely did they ever try to escape and come back to Western society. Whereas if a Native American person was captured and brought to Western society, European society, they hated it and they tried to escape. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and the idea is just that there's community in those places. Uh, in those tribes and stuff, they have a, like a strong sense of community, uh, togetherness, sort of a, an appreciation of nature. Uh, everybody has a purpose. You're appreciated. You're respected mm -hmm. for what you can do. Whereas, you know, whatever you Western European society, whatever you want to call it, it's isolated. People are isolated. Mm -hmm. You don't have community. And you look at now, it's like you live in a giant apartment building, say in New York or something. You barely know your neighbors. You're surrounded by people, but you, there's no connection. Mm -hmm. And even social media, I mean, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, we're all connected, but it's yeah. meaningless, right? You go to work, you come home. Yeah. So it's this idea. And that, to me, is really fascinating. And, I mean, it kind of goes to, like, you know, behaviors. And is there, a, you know, um, an, a right way, let's say, you know, the, the way that we evolved to be healthy? And this is the other point with looking at um, tribes, because they're, you know, pre-industrial. That's the idea is that those are closer to how we evolved. Mm -hmm. They live in a way that's closer to yeah. how we evolved. Anyway, I just went off on that. Thoughts? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> yeah. Tricky. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with the social media issue. You see people on the train or bus, for example, no one's talking to each other and everyone's looking down at their phone. I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> people say the death of conversation and young people nowadays, it's like they're only talking through their phones. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's the way society is, but I can see that having a knock-on effect with mental health. Mm -hmm. But is there like, would you, you know, well, I mean, to the depression example, uh, withdrawing is a is a symptom, mm -hmm. right? Being withdrawn, so obviously, 
you know, human contact, human connection, community is important. Like we can, yeah. we can definitively say that, no? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because I mean, isolation, yeah. putting someone in solitary confinement, like you go mad. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what is your question? <laughs> like with social media, um, you still have like connection to other people. Or mm -hmm. is it like a... Like a fake. But then I would say, I guess I would say, what is the, what is it about human, like, what are the elements of connection that are mm. positive? Like, can, would you be able to dissect that out? Like, it has to be physical or it has to be this amount of time a day. Like, obviously we don't have these answers, but is that the right way to think about it? I mean, are you socially fulfilled when you talk to your family through Facebook? Or Twitter? Well, Facebook, no, because it's filled with stupid Justin Trudeau music. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, well, I would say this, uh, Skype, like yeah. having, just having the visual yeah. of seeing somebody definitely helps. Uh -huh. And I mean, my parents, they were just visiting here in Germany and they talked about that like a lot, that it's like, mm. you know, my parents moved away from their family back in whatever the day they moved across Canada. So they were separated by, you know, at least a five hour plane trip and they didn't have Skype. And my mom talks about this all the time. She's like, if I had Skype, that would have been such an easier yeah. thing for me because you can see the person. So visual is obviously mm -hmm. important. Yeah. But I mean, Skype is different to whatever social media, Facebook, Instagram, mm -hmm. whatever the, the kind of conversation or it's not a conversation of, communication that you have on these platforms it's totally different right yeah. You, yeah i mean there's an there's a no real connection most of the time you see some holiday pictures and that's it i mean there's missing a lot of stuff right yeah people post yeah. what they want to post as well so it's a very yeah. specific way in which people show themselves and communicate well you're presenting the idea that you're presenting a, a false image of what you're really definitely well, on Instagram, for sure, yeah. <laughs> it's biased. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Twitter, obviously, I mean, like, the, you know, it's just not, it's, you know, you only have, like, what, 240 characters or whatever it is, you know, to, like, mm -hmm. so it's not a great way to have a conversation. I mean, obviously, so these are the elements, then, that are important. So being able to spend time, flesh out the ideas, but, like, I mean, there's something, there's something else, and it's got to be quantifiable, you would think. Physical touch, that's got to oh. be part of it. Um, a purpose, I feel like purpose is a big thing. I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of people probably don't have purpose. I mean, yeah. I think the very fact that people um, need these, like the social media, like daily contact, whatever, actually tells you that that's very important, mm -hmm. even though it's not enough. Mm -hmm. So I don't see social media as, oh, it's a weird way. I mean, it's, I think it shows how important communication or being in touch yeah. the, is. The fact that people are clamoring to it and we all like have, I think have signed so, on to it. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, maybe it's you wanting and to be people, heard. Yeah. And people adapt to these changes, right? Like very quickly. So... Mm -hmm. If they're away, uh, if you just have Skype to, you know, like talk to your mother, then 
you just adapt to it. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the thing is that you need this connection and you kind of try to use all the means that you have <laughs> to get that connection. Mm -hmm. So I don't see social media as like, oh, people are presenting themselves as fake. I mean, people probably used to do that before as well. Oh yeah, there's like always presenting been yourself to a neighbor <laughs> in a certain way. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if like when you are. Well, I mean, we all like, comb our hair before we go out. Exactly. It, yeah. So I think it's just a different way of well, some showing of that uh, you need contact with all these people you know or you don't know. Doesn't matter actually. But then maybe it's like it's like a like a hyper version of it. Maybe because yeah. it's like you're connected yeah. with like thousands of people or yeah. probably the whole world. Yeah, but yeah. it's like, am I really that's connected with anyone? That's situation. a different situation. Yeah, I different. think that's that's the 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 important question: Am mm. I really connected to the people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's mm -hmm. what we should talk about because, I mean, what's important in a, in a good conversation? I mean, we we always talk a lot, but what mm -hmm. what is important about this conversations? Mm. Um, <laughs> they might take a while we talk about different stuff like today mm -hmm. um, sometimes you talk about emotions maybe this is what you normally don't do on whatsapp or whatever or some just sometimes you you also talk about like if, if you're in a bad mood uh, this is what you don't normally don't do on facebook or instagram right mm -hmm. you show you the, mm -hmm. the the positive sides of your life, but not the negative sides. And so maybe sometimes it's also important to talk about this stuff mm -hmm. mm. to to maintain a good, I don't know, mental health mm -hmm. status. Yeah. So what's again like? What is the elements of connection that make it, you know, positive for your mental health? I yeah. I don't know. Aren't you guys researching this? No. <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, there's a lot of people, too, that, I mean, this is a criticism yeah. to stay on the social media thing. This is a criticism of social media as well, is that it breeds negativity. Like, it kind of rewards negativity. So, there is a lot of people out there, like, mm -hmm. shouting negative things. And, yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting phenomenon, too, to just, like, the fact that once we got this technology, how many people just started saying the most atrocious <laughs> atrocious <laughs> yeah. things to each other like mm -hmm. that says something about the psychology yeah. but i look at that too is that like well these are people that are hurting yeah you know and they're missing something in their life and they're using this medium like you say like you adapt to the mediums that mm -hmm. you have yeah and you start but yeah i don't know it's fascinating I think that's a, like an interesting question. Like, mm. What is it? Like, can you quantify what a good interaction is between people and how much of that do you need? I mean, obviously it's going to be different for everybody, but, mm -hmm. and I, maybe I'm just falling victim to the magic bullet thing to be like, well, we can just <laughs> regiment it. It's like, everybody needs like, you know, you got to go out and you got to talk to this many people mm. and they have to be, you yeah. know, but there's something to be said about a lack of uh, community. Well, I mean, changing it quite slightly, you could think about when you meet people in a big city, no one is really talking to each other, not just because of phones and social media, mm -hmm. everyone has their own purpose. But then you go to smaller villages or little towns, everyone seems so much happier because everybody's interacting with each other 
I mean, here where we are now, you walk in the morning and people just say, good morning, how are you? <laughs> but then if you go to places Nothing like L- London, for example, yeah. no one wants to talk to each other. It's so yeah. closed. Everybody has their own thing that they want to do. And no one's really social. Yeah. I mean, we know that there is a connection between the size of the city and schizophrenia. It's correlated. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. There's like, um, it's increasing the risk. Um, yeah, yeah. of schizophrenia living in, in bigger cities and it's not just like it's not just oh we're in a bigger city so there's naturally going to be more schizophrenics there it's not like a proportion thing no 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 no, no, no it's no, like no. the risk is higher the risk is higher but they i, I don't i just know the this fact mm-hmm. i don't mm-hmm. know why i mean maybe there are some i think there is also social inequality like mm-hmm. in big cities people seeing that there are you know, like the conditions they're living are like very unequal and mm-hmm, so on. I mm-hmm. think that that also yep. aggravates. Yeah, um, but yeah. they also discuss pollution, whatever. So ah, there's, yeah, that, there's a lot of discussion. I would imagine just stress too. Stress too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, but then physical that stress, is. psychological stress, and different mm-hmm. stuff. But there, there is a connection. So mm-hmm. it fits to what, yeah. you, what you've said. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But what you're talking about, Aaron, too, like makes me think of the whole, what's that like? Uh, there's like the number of like people that you can know or that you can remember is it Dunbar's number something like this have you heard of this uh, no it's a researcher and I don't know he did something where it was like this is like the and again I think he was I don't know again I'm butchering this probably but um, <laughs> he looked at like tribal societies and stuff like this and then did like memory sort of there was some science to it but it was like, this is sort of the maximum number of people that you can know and sort of have a maintain solid relationships with. And I think it was like a hundred or something like this, oh. you know, uh, and then beyond that, it's like, you can add more people in, but you're not going to be as close to them or mm-hmm. something like this. And I mean, that's what I always took the small village thing to be is it's just like, well, yeah. there's just less mm-hmm. people to, you know, deal with. So, <laughs> so, so you got to, but it's true and I mean the other thing is uh, you go to places where countries that are uh, you know not like we'll say like not as well off as or industrialized or whatever as uh, you know the places where we live people seem happier it's very true so what you know that's again that speaks to like purpose or perspective or something and again there is also data showing the living in a third world country it's reducing the risk of schizophrenia, for, for example. Mm-hmm. So they, they are, there's also something going on. So it fits to, to what you've said, that they mm-hmm. seem to be happier. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The flip side of that that I've always thought about is like, well, is it though that it's just like, if you're sort of struggling to get food or whatever, like day by day, you just don't have time to worry about how sad you are. And maybe mm-hmm. that's kind of glib for the, like it's kind of, puts, uh, de-emphasizes how bad depression is and stuff, mm-hmm. but it, that it's just like, oh, well, I don't have time to be sad, you know? But mm-hmm. is there something like, I don't know. Well, as you were talking about in the book, you have a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something you can do. I mean, we're very privileged that we can sit down and scroll through Instagram for half an hour in a day, and it's yeah, pointless. You're sure. doing nothing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not really a purpose, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I don't know, it's kind of, con- it's, there's, I've always like made the connection too with, um, like diseases of affluence. 
like diabetes, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like this where it's like, or even, you know, they have the whole, um, there's the whole, you, have you heard about the hygiene hypothesis? Where like, it's like, like why people are allergic or children exactly. are allergic. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like people, because we live in such a clean hmm. society now, we've cleaned up all this thing, we, we evolved to deal with a certain amount of worms or bacteria or whatever you know like so our immune system is like ready to go for that it's built for that Mm -hmm. and then once we've eliminated that it's like i don't know what to do Mm -hmm. so it starts attacking itself and it's so it's i've always kind of made a a connection to this kind of thing too which again speaks to like well have we built like the goals of this is going to now start sounding super well, I'll take a step back and say it's not super philosophical because clearly I'm just a dum-dum with a microphone ranting into it. But, you know, it's like we've built, we've built it, built society based on the wrong goals. You know, it's an idea I've been thinking about a lot mm-hmm. and it's, I don't know, it, it kind of makes sense. What should the goal be? Yeah, what do you think is the main goal right now in society? Money. If, yeah. yeah. I think mm. yeah, I yeah. have the same I have the the same idea. Mm. Yeah. I was gonna say growth. That's the stuff that I've been True. looking at a lot too. It's like mm. there's always this like growth. We gotta grow the economy. Mm. We have to build you know, we gotta yeah. this, this, this. But this is directly connected to money. To money. Um Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I think it was this week. Denmark, I think, in their list of priorities for the first time ever put um mental health people's well being above GDP mm-hmm. in their budget, oh. I think. Mm-hmm. Really? Yep. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, because, you know, I'm not the, this isn't my original idea, but GDP is a terrible way to measure the, like, well-being of your citizens. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And so this is, you know, I mean, we're talking about mental health and, like, all these things. Maybe this is, you know, we're coming around to this point that, like, we are, we have constructed a way that's not healthy for our, mm. for our well-being. Well, money can't buy happiness. That's what they say. <laughs> well, <laughs> but let's take a moment to remember the great Ja Rule. <laughs> when he said, money can't buy me happiness, but I'm the happiest when I can buy what I want, any time that I want. But I absolutely agree. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and, and, but the interesting thing about this too then is that it's, uh, it's kind of biological, right? Like we're, biology, you know, like life is about consuming, you know, you consume resources, you grow, you reproduce. I don't know, like in, I don't know if you guys have seen in Marburg, on the streets Please here. Don't the, reproduce? The anti yes. reproduction yeah, yeah. Yeah. graffiti. Yeah. 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 I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And I mean I it I am assuming it's like the climate activists and stuff getting yeah. overpopulation and, stuff, and which is it's it's a thing for sure. But to like say to someone, don't reproduce, don't. it's like this is ingrained in our biology. This is what we this is what we do, you know? And so this idea of growth and it is kind of a biological thing, mm. but we've always had uh, before technology and stuff like this, there's always, you know, the rest of the environment would keep you in check. Disease or, you know, there just wasn't enough resource, so you couldn't, you know, but we've kind of eliminated that. And now we're operating outside of the eco, you know, the normal boundaries of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so, A, I mean, it's, it's not good for the planet, but 
maybe this is, it's also not good for our mental health. I mean, right now we have the advantage that we live in a society, at least in Germany, maybe in North America too, or in Europe in general, um, that we can focus on stuff like mental health or mm -hmm. we can address it, that we can try to improve it. And I mean, you've uh, mentioned the crisis, the mental health crisis in, in the US. Um, I think in, in the, the papers I've read about it, about German statistics on mental diseases is that it's not increasing, but the, that people are getting more and more aware. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That so the, the diagnosis symptoms, is getting mm -hmm. better. Yeah, yeah that, that the symptoms they uh, they are experiencing are not like a somatic disorder, like a biological disorder, but that they are like psychological disorders mm -hmm. or problems. So that the diagnosis is changing. Mm -hmm. This is what they find in the, in the data over the last decades. Mm -hmm. That um, So the, the di diagnosis is getting better in general, or mm -hmm. the, the doctors or clinicians, whatever, they get better to, to find mental disorder. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is increasing. Right. So the awareness or that we don't now have, I don't know, the resources to address these problems in general. And mm -hmm. this is an advantage right now. Mm -hmm. So the idea being that like maybe like these people have always we've always had like the same level of mental illness forever but we just now know what to call it like we can now look at that and say oh we should do something about that yeah at least for the last 20 or 30 years mm -hmm. that's the the, the um, yeah, papers I've read about for Germany there's a, a minor increase in affective disorders so in depression mm -hmm. there are some hints that depression um, rates are increasing but for like anxiety disorders it's it's mm -hmm. keeping the same over the last decades mm -hmm. but so, I think that's the one that most people talk about like again, I'm just thinking of like North American media and stuff uh, as like the mental health crisis. It's depression. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not so much schizophrenia or, you know, these other mm -hmm. ones that sort of manifest in this very drastic kind of way. It's like these, yeah, depression is really the biggest one. And maybe it is. Maybe it's like we've had like legions of de depressed people all along and we just we just never knew you know and it's yeah, just yeah. like everyone's always just been like suck it up you know i mean it's the same with ptsd right like after world war one mm. you know they actually started looking at it and they called it what like shell shock or something like this yeah. but it's like oh no these people are just like the, the extreme stress you know but i don't know it's yeah i i feel like it's probably a combination of both this is again me speculating this, I don't know if you guys have picked up on this yet, but this is what the podcast is all about, is just speculating about things. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but, then, but now let's go back maybe to the behavior part. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's do it. What kind, so in our society right now, what, what kind of behaviors do you think we show that are like um, yeah, negative or that might increase uh, depression rates or whatever? Do you, do you have ideas mm -hmm. what kind of behaviors we are showing? What kind of behaviors are showing? I mean, I think isolation. I think people are isolated. For sure. Yeah. I think that's one. Um, I also think that people like purpose. I think there's a lot of people that maybe work in jobs that they don't like, you know, or, and they feel like, oh, I'm just here 
punching the clock mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, but that's it. Like they don't see the, especially when it comes to like financial jobs, you know, it's like, oh, I'm mm -hmm. moving numbers around, but like, what am I doing? I'm not building anything. Mm -hmm. I'm not creative. I'm not, you know, that's, that's my thought. Okay. Those are our guests. I'd maybe add overworking. To that. Yeah. Overworking. Yeah. Have, having two or three jobs or whatever. I mean, this is what, what you hear or what I hear from the US, US for example, hmm. and there are like thousands of people that need two, two jobs, three jobs. To make a living. And to, to make a living. And that comes to the wealth inequality thing too. Yeah. yeah. But then there's also like commuting. People that commute over an hour to work as well, that's an extra two hours a day. And you're not mm. really working during that time. And not getting paid for it. Yeah. yeah. No. Come on in. Two other friends joining us. You guys are hopping right into our <laughs> lovely conversation about mental illness. Hello. Yeah, I mean, what, I don't know, what, so isolation, um, purpose, lack of purpose. Bullshit jobs. Bullshit jobs. Bullshit That's jobs. what they call it, right? Yeah. Stress, right? Stress, stress. would be a stress. big thing too. I mean, how many I mean, people, you know, are so stressed out about being able to put money or put food on the table, you know? So. I'm not sure how that's affecting Germany or how how big. I'm. Is that a problem in Germany? I mean, I just can tell you my personal opinion. But sometimes, or in Germany, mm. we sometimes have the feeling that we are like 10 or 15 years behind. Uh, the United States, and we always oh, look yeah. at the United States, and, and then we're getting nervous because... In terms of what? Like productivity or something? No, like um, working conditions, mm. um, low wage jobs, whatever. Mm -hmm. Two or three jobs at once to make a living. I'll take a beer at this good thing. <laughs> okay, looks like I'm Thank ready you. to serve. <laughs> and I, I mean, in Germany we have the same problem. I, I, I think we have like 40% of people have like really low incomes. Like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm the minimum wage income or around mm -hmm. that and it's I, I think that's a huge problem that's my but this mm -hmm. is my right wealth inequality I mean that's rising all over the world so but then what is it what what does that what's the behavior then there it's like stress or I guess not behavior but like what's the how does that contribute to the mental illness? stress yeah feeling left out feeling you know alienation yeah. I mean this I think that's a big thing different reasons I mean then there's a lot of stuff connected to stress if you're stressed you drink more alcohol alcohol use more drugs mm -hmm. smoke more cigarettes whatever mm -hmm. I, I mean it's a, it's a lot of different stuff coming together mm -hmm. all right Uzga, are you gonna join us sure what are you talking about <laughs> all right this is Uzga. Uzga's been on the podcast before once too so we all remember um, we were talking about uh, like what conditions and or behaviors or something you notice in society that would be contributing to a bad mental state. I brought up the, the idea that like maybe we're living in a way that isn't positive for our mental health. And, mm -hmm. and so isolation is something we, we brought up. Uh, what were the other ones? Purpose, a lack of purpose, people feeling a lack of purpose. Inequality. Inequality. But that, and to me, that kind of goes to alienation. Like you feel like, hmm. 
resentment that like I'm not part of the the thing, you know. Um yeah, I don't know, maybe like compromising, so maybe like the people getting away with certain stuff because they are never told um about their bad attitude stuff like this. So that people who are um I don't want to give examples from work, <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, who get away with what they do and... Um, Did you have a bad day? Or? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, 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 I'm Bad just week, yes. <laughs> but so, that, but then that again, like, it sounds like it's like, it's like a resentment thing or like, you're working very hard, but you're not getting the recognition or the, you know... And I mean, I think this is for sure. I mean, we always kind of, I always kind of boot the examples to the U.S. because they seem to be kind of like you said, like at the extreme, like they're ahead of everyone else in terms of hmm. inequality and all this stuff. But it's exactly that. Like so many people must see these guys, like a, I use the financial example, they just move numbers around and they make a million dollars and there's a guy down there, you know, busting his tail every day and getting nothing like that's got to build resentment mm, definitely but yeah anyway we were kind of talking about like this mm -hmm. mental health crisis is there a mental health crisis is there not um but yeah i don't know and like is normal with these podcasts we have more questions than answers but <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway we're glad you're joining us, Uska, yeah. with your, <laughs> you're a bit I'll tired. I'll be ready and, in a bit, yeah. And you, and you brought us all the drinks, so it's all good. Um, the other thing that we could touch on, I mean, other than the social media, the cognitive behavior stuff, I mean, I think the cognitive behavior stuff is great to deal with some of the, some of these problems that we, you know, that we've just alluded to. Um, it seems to me like a really great like it makes a lot of sense, like it's very logical and it makes a lot of sense. But you kind of said at the beginning of the show too that there was like some pushback for certain um, disease, like psychiatry didn't want mm -hmm. you to tackle schizophrenia or something like that. Um, but I don't know, like it, it makes a lot of sense to, well, let's look at behavior, let's look at, you know, how we're living, how we're acting and, you know, Change it. Be the change you want to see in the world. I just came up with that now. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> no, but do you think it would be um, possible to deal with a syndrome like schizophrenia by, like, I don't know, therapy? Can you therapy away delusions? Yeah. You mean by using psychotherapy? By, yeah, by using psychotherapy. I mean, the, they use approaches to do that, but uh, I have no experience with this kind of stuff, so I don't, I don't know. They this, say remember, this is a podcast. Know, you can speculate all you want. <laughs> no one will hold you to it. I mean, there's also the thing that by psych, uh, psychotherapy, you can also boost, like, alter certain neurotransmitters in the brain actually so hmm. that might be of course a way but a case like schizophrenia i don't know so you're saying like with by changing behavior you can change the brain chemistry 
by yes, I mean by going on to so this is what uh, behavioral therapy is, I guess, is uh, focusing on, and uh, it like it changes the neurotransmitter mm -hmm. levels too. Yeah, I mean, but this is again the more biological yeah, I mean the way psychiatric, of yeah. or the psychiatric way of right looking at like dopaminergic system or whatever, and you also and the assumption that you change the system with psychotherapy. And um, yeah, you could also use a, this magic bullet to change the system. Mm. I mean, this is w one understanding of of um, of these diseases, but I'm, I don't know if it's really true. It's not I the mean, whole it's, picture. It's not the whole picture. It's just yeah. it's just one idea. Right. Yeah. But by changing behavior, there is n like measurable changes in brain chemistry. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So then where's the magic bullet? What behaviors? <laughs> yeah, but schizophrenia is a different situation. I mean, completely different. It's, um, yeah. I don't know. I think it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. By... Well, and I mean, now I feel like we're, we're coming mm -hmm. back to a thing that we talked about at the beginning, which is great. It's fine. But it's like, and I'm kind of biased towards it being a, you know, my training was biology, but it is, I feel like... Mm -hmm. If we had all the data, like if you could just like scan everybody's brain and get like all the genetic data, all the brain chemistry data, something like this, there must be a way that you could just be like, ah, do a little bit more of this or tweak a little bit more of this, to, you know, do, mm -hmm. you know, and then you're fine. But then would you just be like a mindless robot? I don't know. Like how much of it is? I mean, right now they are trying to adapt this um, strategy by like using this artificial intelligence whatever stuff giving uh, the computer all the data you have all the brain scans and mm -hmm. all the blood sample data and all the behavioral data and all the whatever stuff you've collected and then you, you tr try to train the computer to find differences between for example depressed per uh, persons and control persons but right now it's not working like this so it's is it just a matter of we don't have the computing power? Maybe, I don't know. Or is it just <laughs> like the, the wrong way to think about it? Or maybe it's too complicated? Exactly, not everything is so predictable, yeah. so computable yeah. in a brain, mm -hmm. probably. In a condition yeah. like depression, I mean, that's how I see depression. It's very complicated, I think. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, like, there can be so many reasons, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's that easy to predict um, depression based on, I don't know. Well, not biology. We'd have to map all the environmental factors sure. and stuff too, stress, all that stuff. Here's something I want to ask you guys about that just popped into my head. So maybe it's, what is, is there, you know, there's those studies that talk about stress impacting the children of people who are stressed. Do you, do you know mm -hmm. anything about this? Yeah. Is that, what? what's the story there? Is it true? Yeah, that's, but that's uh, okay. epigenetic, epigenetic events yeah. happening. Right. Um, but so how big is the impact, I guess, is what I'm, I'm curious about. Yeah, I can talk from the animal studies. Mm -hmm. um, so there are uh, really sweary cases um, where the 
the mother, for example, so even the babies, uh, the embryos in uh, utero, they were um, prone to stress. <clears throat> and then the mother, um, before uh, going into breathing, they were stressed and the, the severeness. So the more uh, severe it gets, the entire uh, stress phase uh, for the mother and then the uh, embryo later on, um, there is more likelihood for the uh, next generation to develop uh, certain psychiatric conditions. Mm -hmm. And it also includes uh, certain cognitive uh, uh, dysfunctions. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And this is believed to uh, yeah, work via epigenetic events because that's not in the genome of the mother, actually, mm -hmm. right. what is being transmitted, but it's the... Yeah. It's an environmental. Yes. Yeah, it's an environmental effect. And then when they are, for example, uh, prone to stress, uh, and then are exposed to stress during the early life, that also increases the uh, likelihood that they will that they develop psychiatric conditions mm -hmm. later in life. And I mean, I know that this is animal studies, so it's yeah. There's the caveats that come with animal yeah. studies, but it's like, it seems to me like, how do you quantify stress? Because we were, I'm thinking about like a discussion we had before you got here is good about people in, you know, second world, third world countries or whatever being happier. But I would think that they would have more stress and like just in general as you know, like let's, mm. you know, go back a thousand years, 2000 years or something. Wouldn't we have experienced as humans more stress mm. in terms of like, there's animals, there's mm. war, there's this. So wouldn't we all be then fucked up? Because <laughs> we've all been like, you Maybe know, VR. it's only now that like we, our parents aren't stressed. Yeah, well, but I mean, um, in, the, in those countries, yes, uh, there's different kind of stress, but... I think in the West Western world, uh, there's a the, yeah there's this daily stress mm -hmm. ongoing about work, money, mm -hmm. you know it's adding on so much. Um, I think it's um, it's an accumulating uh, effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not like an acute like okay there was a danger there was an you know an acute yeah. danger that I had to deal with and now it's done and then I can go back to being less stressed. Now it's kind of just yeah. every day there's like a slow amount of stress, but yeah, which kind of makes sense, goes to what we've been talking about. Uh -huh. So all of our kids are going to be screwed. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, it's about finding the balance. Not due to uh, mental illnesses, the climate would be a problem. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, well, and this is another like. But what's also yeah, what's also very common is the immune uh, deficiency later in those uh, kids or like generation, let's say. So I, I cannot think of human studies uh, at the moment, but in the animal studies, so that's one side effect as well. Let's say you are you being so much under stress that you uh, your immune system is yes. is not as good. Uh, no and that uh, that you pass on to this ne uh, next generation actually the next generation gets immune uh, deficiencies really yeah 
Yeah. Huh. Certain yeah, immunological factors are increased. Do they know if that's <laughs> just like during development, they just it just doesn't develop properly, or do we know what the mechanism there is? Mm, they might, but I don't know it. Okay. I can't tell. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Podcast speculate away. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the climate change thing, Toby. This I think there's another thing that's like there's people talk about the the stress of that. You know, and that there's a whole generation of kids, like all the, yeah. you know, Friday, Future, whatever, the Swedish girl, I can't remember her name now. Yeah, that's the one. Um, but that there's like, how much should we, like, how do we handle a problem like that? Because like, this is putting a lot of stress on people and kids. And, but again, an open-ended statement that speak away. I'm not sure how we can handle that like situation no idea i mean as severe as it is right now so we can be very pessimistic about it as well i don't want to talk about it because i would be very yeah does it stress you out uh me personally Mm -hmm. uh no to be honest because i will die in i don't know 30 40 years yeah <laughs> yeah really. and i don't have kids so yeah. I, I i don't yeah. have the the anxiety mm-hmm. ah, but Rainer was uh talking about this i mean because uh, at the mm-hmm. university uh, the students uh, some weeks ago because there was a um, special week uh, for the climate change mm-hmm. and the students asked professors to include um, in their lectures, this topic in a certain way. And mm. right now, teaching a biological psychology, he actually first had no idea like how to implement it into his lecture, mm. climate change. And then he said he did a bit of research, like just literature search. And what he, he could find, uh, he could find was um, people like at this attitude. <laughs> And uh, others, uh, so for example, thinking for future generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I really am worried mm-hmm. about the future generations. And then uh, some saying like, well, I don't know, I'm gonna die anyway. Mm-hmm. So I don't think. so. Like two groups, and then showing. Uh, I think it was a yeah MRI scanning uh, in these people, showing differences, etc. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Probably. So there's maybe different... being more individualistic and more altruistic. I don't know. Right, so. right, right. But I mean, this is also one of the problems. I mean, we were talking about the reproduction thing, like biology and how we, some of these things we can't fight against. But this is another like a thing that's pretty common with humans is like lack of foresight. You know, being able to like look that far in the future yeah. and, yeah. you know, or even just like look at a group from, a, from another place and say, well, why should I give a shit about their well-being, you know? Or why do I care that much about the future? I need to deal with my stuff now. Which is kind of an interesting, we touched on it a little bit earlier, of like, we're, how do we deal with our biology and live within the realm of, you know, the ecosystem and whatever. Like we've kind of, in some ways we've surpassed biology and in other ways we're still slaves to it. We're still victims of it. Well, victims maybe is a strong word, but. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to make for good radio here, you know? (laughs) But it's interesting. It's interesting, interesting thought. 
Um, I think we're getting pretty hungry now, eh? Yeah. Yes. I've made burritos for everybody, so yeah. let's let's wrap it up. But thank you guys for being here. Thanks for doing the podcast. I uh, appreciate it. It's fun fun discussion. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed it. We should do it again. And Merry Christmas, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>And there we have it. Fun little chat. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I'd like to get these folks back on again and maybe myself do a little more prep work so I can really grill them about a few more things um, and get some more details. But like I said, we just had a casual podcast and dinner uh, and it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. So thank you again to everyone for uh, coming out. Um, Thank you to everyone for listening. We will have hopefully at least one more episode out before the end of the year. If not, take care, everyone. Have a good end of the decade, and we'll see you in the new year. Take care.